Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from Leviticus. In a sermon titled Early and Often, Pastor Bob talks about how sin spreads and ruins everything and erodes our worship of God. But God does have a solution to that problem. We'll discuss that and more today as we dive into Leviticus chapters 4 and 6. We're talking about God's holiness, our sins, and what it takes to be forgiven. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Bob, I've asked this question before, but it's actually one of your main points in the sermon. So I'll ask it again. What sure. is sin? Yeah, and, you know, I, as we've talked about in the past, just recently, actually, um, mm-hmm. the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives a, a nice, succinct answer. Uh, question 14, what is sin? And sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually see that here in the passage uh, in chapter four. It's repeated over and over again. If if you know a person or a group of people do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, mm-hmm. and that's this idea of of transgressing the law, right? Of breaking the law. Now, there's another part in this section that we actually didn't read uh, at the beginning of chapter five that describes a different kind of sin. Um, where you know, there's a, a, a call out to testify in a particular trial. If anyone saw anything, they mm. need to come and tell the truth about what happened. And if you don't do that, you have committed a sin and, and you, know, you need a sacrifice. And that is a, a sin of omission, right? So there's sins mm. of commission, that's a transgression. Then there's sins of omission, right? Lack of conformity unto the law of God, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're falling short of the law or you're breaking the law. One way or the mm-hmm. other, you're not doing uh, as uh, you have been commanded, as God has commanded, and as he has set up the world. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in our passage and, and in the sermon, what we talked about in terms of more specifically what is sin— what I said was, is that sin is more than our bad intentions, mm-hmm. uh, because we're talking a lot about unintentional sin. And hmm. so it's it's important to make that distinction, because, of course, we oftentimes try to justify ourselves by talking about our good intentions and, and not meaning for these mm-hmm. things to happen, not meaning to say these things, not meaning to hurt people's feelings, not meaning to, you know, do damage. Um as if that therefore is not sin, mm-hmm. uh, and and in that particularly first point of the sermon, uh, what we needed to see from the text is that that sin, uh, even if it's unintentional, is still sin. You're still mm. breaking God's law, and mm-hmm. and something still needs to be done about it. And it sounds like from your passage in your sermon too that it's not just individuals who sin, but there's also this communal collective sin, right? And uh, I mean, how does that? that jive with our, you know, American individualism? Yeah, this is um, really challenging for us um, in the modern world, uh, enlightenment, post-enlightenment world, uh, which is all about, you know, sort of the inherent dignity uh, and value and worth of the individual, um, which, again, is actually a biblical value, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why that the enlightenment and, and these values came out of Christendom. Um, but it's also even more so in the United States, right? We are the least communal society and culture, uh, maybe you know, ever in history, and, and certainly mm-hmm. right now on Earth. Um, and when you, you know, you think about American history. Um, you know, people, most people who are here are here because they or their ancestors decided to leave their community. Oh, yeah. Um, decided to leave their family of origin. Now, sometimes communities came over together, mm-hmm. um, like the Puritans, but nonetheless, there, there was a, a movement away from sort of a communal ideal to a more individualistic ideal. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of hardwired into us and into our culture. So yeah, communal collective sin is a very challenging thing for American Christians to understand. But of course, when you open your Bible, I mean, it's impossible not to see it everywhere. 
mm-hmm. in, in both the Old and New Testaments, right? I mean, Jesus makes it clear Jerusalem is going to be destroyed because mm-hmm. it rejected him, you know, as sort of the, mm. the capstone of their total rejection of God was crucifying the Messiah. And it's not just the Sanhedrin, and it's not just the Roman guards and the centurions, right? Everyone uh, is... is um, uh, implicated in that, and so therefore Jerusalem will be destroyed, which is unfortunately uh, just a sequel to what happened, you know, 580 years before that hmm. um, in hmm. in Jeremiah's time. Jerusalem and Judea was held accountable for all kinds of things, particularly idolatry, child sacrifice, um, not freeing their Hebrew slaves. I mean, all kinds of things that. Uh, particularly the elite, did not do, right? They Mm -hmm. failed to live up to God's law, or they broke God's law. But we see this with Sodom and Gomorrah. We see this with the Canaanites, right? The sin of the Mm. Canaanites has not yet been fulfilled, God tells Abraham. We have to wait 400 more years before uh, it's worth really kicking them out. Um, So (laughs) collective communal sin is, is all through the Bible, and God deals with not just individuals, but with peoples mm-hmm. and communities. And of course, that's because he's called us into community, right? We are called into a local body of Christ, the church, um, and we are being ultimately gathered into the whole church, universal, mm-hmm. right? As the bride of Christ, right? We are a collective whole. And so this is a, a really important thing, I think, for churches and, and, and ministers and sermons to kind of hit on in the United States where we just don't get this idea yeah. of, of communal collective responsibility, um, and yet it's vital, it's biblical, and mm. and we ultimately um, really misunderstand what's going on in the world when we attribute everything to individual acts and we don't understand that actually crowds and communities, in some sense, uh, have have a life of their own and a culture of their own, mm. and and there are things that you can do in a crowd, or there are things that crowds do that individuals would never do, mm-hmm. uh, and oftentimes crowds act far worse than the individual actors in those crowds, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like um, the 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 whole is greater than the sum of the parts, mm-hmm. um, and and there can even be sort of a spirit to a crowd, a spirit to a community. That's why Paul can talk about how, you know, there are spiritual forces that are actually behind uh, the Roman Empire, what we Mm. see with Daniel and the various empires that are going to come, and and angels and demons are are behind these different powers. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a really important corrective for us, and that's why I chose the the communal sin. I mean, there's there are four different categories in chapter four, but I chose the communal one because Mm -hmm. um, it's I think it's important for us as American Christians uh, to deal with and to hear. Yeah, definitely. So how do we deceive ourselves when it comes to our sin? Yeah, you know, and that's that's what we just talked about in terms of one of the things we say is that we justify ourselves by looking at our intentions. Um, and, and of course, you know, everything we do and say and think, it comes from a number of different, you know, strains and and multiple intentions and multiple interests. Um, But oftentimes, you know, when we've said something harsh or done something wrong uh, or hurt somebody, Mm -hmm. um, we'll pick out the best of those bundles of intentions and sort of ignore, you know, the the selfishness that was also there, the prejudging that Mm -hmm. was also there, um, and ultimately just simply forgetting that this person is, you know, fully made in the image of God and, and worthy of our respect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we tell ourselves the, a story that, hey, you know, I just was having a bad day, or I didn't sleep well, or I had indigestion, or someone else had just been nasty to me. You know, so we do all kinds of things to try to uh, justify ourselves or reduce our guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're oftentimes looking at the role of intentions, which is why it's important that we talk about unintentional sin. All right, well, let's unpack that just for a minute. So um, is an unintentional sin as bad as an intentional sin? Uh, 
No, no, it's they they, they are not as bad, right? So, mm-hmm. um, the obviously God does look at the heart, and the heart does matter, right? So right. intentions do matter, mm-hmm. um, but intentions aren't the only thing that matters. Is mm-hmm. is the point uh, being said here? Because um, sin has consequences, right? Breaking God's law has consequences, whether or not you meant to do it. And, you know, like I just said, our intentions are always mixed, right? The the heart is deceptive above all things, Jeremiah says, right? Mm, so yeah. we don't want to be the people examining our own hearts, right? We need right. others helping us do that because we're not going to see all the darkness and sin in there oftentimes. I mean, we can be really hard on ourselves mm. and our harshest critic and at the same time be blind to uh, a number of aspects of our sinfulness and selfishness. So yes, intentions do matter, right? And this is, I mean, we, we see this in Old Testament law. We see it in our current criminal law, right? The difference, difference between manslaughter and murder, right? right? right, right. You know, you, if you kill someone because you're recklessly driving, right, you're in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's bad, and you might go to jail. But if you intentionally tried to kill someone, that's a lot worse. Right. And you're definitely, I mean, <laughs> Lord willing, you're going to jail. Right. Um, so that's, uh, you know, we see that in, in the Book of the Covenant, uh, in Exodus uh, 21 and 22, the different laws around manslaughter and murder. We see it in our own culture as well. So intentions do matter, but mm-hmm. just like with manslaughter, hey, I didn't mean to kill anyone, but you did. So therefore, there's consequences. Right. Well, let's talk about these consequences. You said in your sermon that... that um, Sin spreads and ruins. How how does it do that? Yeah. Well, in the text, what we see is that the uh, tabernacle has to be cleansed um, by atoning blood of of the animal, um, because what happens is that the, the sin of the people, the sin of the community, infects and spreads and ruins uh, the ability for the tabernacle or temple uh, to become a place of meeting God and worshiping God and, and to really be a place of atonement and forgiveness for Israel. And so that's why this blood has to be sprinkled before uh, the curtain entering into the most holy place. Uh, blood has to be put on the altar in the holy place, the the, the table of the bread of the presence, um, in order to purify it so that mm-hmm. it can remain a place of, of worship and forgiveness. And, you know, we get this idea of, of you know, contamination, right? I mean, there's obviously contamination in all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we see sin contaminate in all kinds of ways, right? I mean, uh, you think about, you know, someone who, who grows up in a home uh, where there is abuse or addiction, mm. and we and, and you just know how that can unfold in someone's life, and it, it spreads to them, right? That, that harm, that wrong um, spreads to them, and, and they're not only victims of it, but they're also criminals, right? They they mm. they end up sinning too because of what has affected them, right? So, just because bad things have happened to you doesn't mean that you're off the hook for everything you've you've done, and you're no longer responsible. You are responsible. You are also a victim, right? And and so sin spreads to us. It spreads through our household. I mean, you think about in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, and you think about sort of how the favoritism, right, could could ruin. Uh, mm-hmm. those families, right? The favoritism, uh, particularly from uh, Isaac and Rebekah and what that did to Jacob and Esau, and then how Jacob passed that favoritism on to his own kids, to where mm. they tried to nearly murder Joseph, and instead they just sell him off uh, into slavery, right? Um, you know, we, we obviously see it with David and his sexual immorality and 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 violence against and murdering Uriah, right? And then mm-hmm. the sword will never leave your house, God says to him, right? There are consequences uh, mm-hmm. to our sin, and it spreads and ruins uh, the people and the world around us. Mm-hmm. And um, in the sermon, you know, I just mentioned our current culture and, and how nasty it is, right? And yeah. this this is something that you know, was building, and, you know, it's slowly picked up steam and, and has spread. It's because mm-hmm. of technology, it's because of particular personalities, um, you know, but it, there's multiple causes here, but mm-hmm. we're all a part of it, and we're all affected by it, right? So yeah. sin spreads, and it ruins things. Right, and, and and that, you know, we don't need to look too far in our own lives or the no. world around <laughs> us to see that. It clearly does ruin things, and it, and. You'd said in another sermon about, you know, vandalizing God's shalom, right? This yes. is this is this is terrible. So we feel that, but how does sin erode our worship of God? 
Right. And so that's the that's one of the key problems here. And that's what we see is that the tabernacle needs to be purified. Um, and, you know, if it if not, right, so if, if sin goes unaddressed mm-hmm. uh, over and over and over again, what happens is that, you know, we are not going to be able to worship God. In the Old Testament, what happened mm-hmm. was that ultimately God left the temple, right? And, yeah. and Ezekiel talks about that, um, how the, the glory just left uh, because mm. God was done living in the midst of Israel, in the midst of their unrepentant sin and idolatry, right? So one commentator talks about how basically Israel chased God out of the temple, right? What a, mm. what a tragedy, uh, that was. And, and you know, it wasn't even because they had ceased doing sacrifices, you know. I mean, over and over again, the prophets are talking about, like, look, it's it's not, it can't just be about, you know, slaughtering thousands of rams. Right. Um, there also has to be something about communal life and communal justice and not, you know, having other gods as well and going up on the mountaintops and worshiping those other gods too, right? So if you are... Um, you know, making peace with sin in some way, um, mm-hmm. then that's going to make worshiping God harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in, in my life, at least, like, it comes down to sort of a cognitive dissonance. Like, I, if mm. I am making provision for the flesh, it's, it's impossible for me to actually uh, really fellowship with God and connect with Him, right? There, there's right. just, there's too much stress and tension there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think most Christians who are listening have have experienced that as well. So when there is, you know, conscious sin going on, um, you know, planning sin, making provision for the flesh, you are unable uh, to worship God freely uh, through His Son. It, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what we see in our own lives and in our own spiritual practices, God God uh, demonstrates for us in the Old Testament in in real physical and tragic ways. How does God's holiness uh, figure into this whole equation? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Holiness is a really, really interesting concept, Mm -hmm. and and it's one that um, we can uh, perhaps overly um, narrowly define, and we've talked about it before, that um, we could think of holiness as moral purity, um, and it is, but but maybe holiness is more, uh, take away moral out of it, it's just purity, mm-hmm. um, but but even beyond, it's, it's even different than that, um, we've talked about a sort of this idea of being fully consecrated, fully set apart, um, fully aligned toward a, a particular priority and, and commitment. Um, and so I actually, one of the words that I think of is polarized. And, um, do you remember back in, you know, science class or whatever, you could get like those little shavings of, uh, metal and you put a magnet underneath it and the the little shavings would move around, right? And it's like, okay, these are, this magnetized and there, they all are pointing toward the magnet, right? Mm -hmm, Like you, you mm -hmm. see these things kind of shift and move and they're constantly finding the magnet and pointing themselves toward the magnet. That's mm-hmm. holiness. Holiness is where we are. Our whole lives are fully pointed to and aligned with with God, with our identity in God, with His purposes, His mm-hmm. will. That's holiness. That's who He is, right? And He calls us to that. So, like, He's this magnet, and He's He's calling us to have all of all of our lives pointing to Him to be polarized uh, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens is when we um, knowingly permit, um, you know, sort of a, a lack of, of polarization in our lives, um, that, that makes it very, very difficult for us to connect with God, that, that lack of holiness. Mm. And what's interesting is that even when we're not intentionally doing it, right, there's still a problem, right? There, mm-hmm. there, is still a, a, there is still damage done, which is why we have to be thoughtful about the consequences of our actions and words, not just our intentions. All right, this brings up a whole host of, of, of questions for me. So, we, so today, then, we don't have the tabernacle that, that uh, God you know, dwelt with the ancient Israelites in the tabernacle, and, right. and today, as Christians, uh, God dwells in us as the, as the Holy Spirit. So let's talk for a minute about how we are the temples of God. 
God's temples. Yeah, we are we are the the the, the portable temple of God, right? The the moving uh, sanctuary and tabernacle. Each of us uh, who are believers are right. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and and you know Paul makes this clear that we are individually temples as well as collectively uh, in in the local uh, church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the temple of God, um, and so and and like what that what that suggests is that therefore everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, right? Every act, every physical act. Our bodies are the temple of God, right? Our mm. hearts are the temple. Of, our mind is the temple of God. So, so that's why all of life needs to be aligned with God, because mm-hmm. you know our whole lives mm-hmm. are meant to uh, show Him, right, and illustrate who He is, because He is in us and mm. we are in Him. So you know, it's it, it, when it's no wonder when we are permitting sin in our lives, or when we are making peace with sin in our lives, it's no wonder that connecting with God is impossible, right? Because mm. He is living in us, right? And, and Paul talks about you know grieving the Holy Spirit with our mm. with our choices, with our actions, with our sin, right? There there can be real tension and and really a, a impossibility of of really experiencing fellowship and joy with God mm-hmm. um, when we are, like I said, make pr- making provision for the flesh. It just the spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the spirit, as we see in, in uh, Galatians 5. I mean, there's just, there's no peace there. And so when we are choosing the flesh, we are not going to enjoy being the temples of God. We are not going to enjoy worshiping God. So, Bob, there's something you said in the beginning of the podcast that, that is haunting me a little bit. You said that the uh, the ancient Israel, Israelites were so uh, grievous in their sins that they chased God out of the sanctuary. And I'm thinking about this idea that we're God's temples. So how can the Holy Spirit dwell in us if sin is polluting the sanctuary? And does the Spirit ever, I don't know, leave us temporarily if the pollution becomes too great? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and and in in one sense or another, Matt, you know, the the church has fought about that question a lot uh, mm. over the last two thousand years, and and we get into some of these ideas about the perseverance of the saints or or preservation of the saints. But one thing that is indisputable, what we what we read in the New Testament, is that believers are the temple of God. They are mm-hmm. you know walking, living, breathing temples uh, of God, because uh, God's Spirit dwells in them, right? And Jesus says, me and my Father will come and make our home in you, and he means through mm. the Spirit, right? So the triune God uh, is is present uh, in believers. Um, and, and that and that presence also suggests a, a, a specific union with Jesus um, that then kind of brings us to, okay, well, you know, if we are united to Jesus, then that means we are saved, and, you know, there's nothing can take us from his love, right? I mean, mm. certainly his love and his sacrifice is stronger than our sin, whatever we might commit. Um, we can't undo his work on the cross for us. We can't be in Christ and then somehow out of Christ, right? So mm. being um, in the Reformed tradition, um, and, and even the you know broader Augustinian tradition, I think we would say that you know, you can't chase God's Spirit out of you uh, when you are His temple and when you are mm-hmm. united to Jesus. On the other hand, the book of Hebrews does talk about those who have tasted the Spirit, right, who have experienced mm. uh, Christian fellowship and, and have dabbled in uh, Christianity um, and, and have witnessed and, and experienced in some way uh, the blessing of God's covenant people, and yet they are not uh, mm-hmm. A part of the covenant people, they they do drift away, they do fall away. Um, but but that's that's an outward sign of of something inwardly that was not there. Right, this mm-hmm. this ultimate real union with Jesus by the presence of the Spirit was not truly there. Now, it, for those of us who have the Spirit, we are united to Jesus. We still can grieve the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? There there is there is still a fight going on, like we read about. In Galatians 5, you know, the Spirit is at war with the flesh, so that we cannot do what we want to do. There is a battle, and the Spirit is groaning too, Mm. right, with with words that we can't even understand. Um, And the Spirit's groaning because we are not yet who uh, we truly will be, right? So Mm. there, there is a work happening. 
Um, the Spirit is working on us, and 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 we in our new nature are also working. Um, so you know there is there is this battle. There is a potential to grieve the Spirit. There is a potential to to not really enjoy God and not enjoy His presence, mm-hmm. like we talked about the, the worship being diminished, um, mm-hmm. and that happens. And and all of us have gone through seasons. If you've been a Christian long enough, you go through seasons where you are um, making more peace with sin, perhaps, or you're not living a life of repentance as you could be, and and you notice that, actually, I don't enjoy God, um, and I want to, right? There's something missing. I'm, I'm sad. I, I, I'm not happy, and, and that's one of the ways that God calls us back to himself. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we can chase uh, the spirit from us that the, the the Christian who is united to Jesus cannot chase God from our lives, mm-hmm. but we can make compromises to a degree that we don't see God working in our life, and mm. and we are very unhappy. And that that's that's mm. what it means. We we if we make peace with sin, we will be deeply unhappy people. That's what mm-hmm. it means to be a Christian. So thank God, thank God yeah. that His Spirit dwells in us. We are His temple, and He simply will not allow His temple uh, mm. t- to go on like that. And so that's you know I'm 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 giving a a, a strong case for the preservation and the perseverance mm-hmm. of the saints. But Matt, I tell you, what what other hope do we have? Right. right? If if our hope is is built on well, I I, I hope I. Uh, really don't sin that much. I guess you know God's right, okay with right. little sins, but not great sins. And boy, if I if I avoid those great sins, then I guess I won't lose my salvation. I mean, that mm. that's no hope at all, right? Yeah, no, so totally, our 100%. our hope ha- yeah. our hope has to be in a God who is greater than even all of our rebelliousness, right? Mm-hmm. And and all of our betrayals. Uh, that is where we put our hope, and and that's that's the um, that's what I can offer other Christians. Yeah. Well, praise God to that. I mean, that it's not up to us. Uh, nevertheless, there are consequences to our sinning that uh, make it difficult for us to worship God, and there's consequences to the people around us. Yes. So, how do we take both our corporate and individual individual sins more seriously? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, that's what's happening in the the, the preaching of the word, right? Mm-hmm. The, in the preaching of the word, we we look at what Leviticus is saying, and we're like, well, we need to take our sin seriously. If we if we are trying to justify it with our intentions, or we'll get around to doing the right thing, right? Not good enough in the mm-hmm. sense of, of of the kind of damage that sin can do. So, one of the primary ways that we take sin seriously, both corporate and individual, is that we sit under Scripture. Right, and, mm. and we have it read to us and taught to us the whole counsel of God, uh, not just the parts that we like. Right, so so yeah. we need to be made uncomfortable uh, by God's word. It ought to make us uncomfortable. Right, because mm-hmm. we are still uh, in the throes of sin. Right, we are still uh, sometimes submitting to sin. So, so there's parts mm-hmm. of it that we're not going to like. Some people aren't going to like the, the the corporate sin aspect of things. No, no, no. I'm an individual, and I'm not really mm-hmm. connected and responsible. Others of us, and particularly in other cultures, uh, don't take the individual sin. Uh, aspects as seriously. You know, what what I do with my personal and private life is my business. It's no big deal. As long as I'm in the community and the community's doing well, then I can do what I want. And that's been more of the challenge with Christianity mm. uh, throughout, throughout its history, rather than our current challenge in North America, which is we take individual sin more seriously than corporate. So we need to be listening to God's Word. Um, we need to be open to being convicted by it. Um, and we also need to be uh, inviting in people in discussion, right? We need to be asking mm-hmm. hard questions, and we need to allow hard questions to be asked of us. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things I asked uh, of our congregation is, you know, are are we really welcoming and hospitable to everyone, or just mm-hmm. the people who look and think and talk and act like we do? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's a question we need to continue to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are we inviting uh, to 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 Jesus, or who are we saying come and see, too, um, and and are we operating in such a way that you know gives the subtle or not so subtle communication to other groups of people that well we're not really that interested mm. uh, in being brothers and sisters with them. So we you know we need to invite those people into conversation, and we need to read and listen to what they're saying uh, mm. about what they're hearing from us as we think about uh, corporate sin, um, and then you know. As I think we'll probably talk about in a second, this is what the, the point of the of the sermon was. You know, we need to live lives of repentance, right? I mean, mm. we need to be 
we need to be recognizing that we are broken, um, that our sin goes deeper than we would ever really imagine. Thank God his love is greater than that, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we want to practice repentance, right. uh, which is why we, we do it every worship service, um, and we know it's a, it's a part of a, of a daily Christian's life mm-hmm. to confess sin to God, and then when it's appropriate to, to one another, but, you know, just in, in, in normal prayer time, there should be a, a time of recognizing, I'm a sinner, and I yeah. need your grace, Lord, and I'm sorry, and, and I need you to fight for me in my heart, right? And I, I don't want you to mm. change my loves. I want you to change what I desire. I want to love you more than these other things, right? So that mm. it needs to be a daily practice of repentance. Yeah, and I want to get into that because that's, that's the solution to this problem. But I want to dwell just a little bit more on, on the problem of sin itself. I, I think most of us tend to think that when, when we sin— we are hurting people around us in the, in the culture and society, which is all true. But, but how is sin uh, an attack on God? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's where we were talking about in terms of some of these horizontal or social sins. Uh, you still need to sacrifice, right? And the, and the temple is still tarnished, and there is still a, a vertical element uh, to this horizontal sin, right? And we, we've mm-hmm. talked about sort of this... Um, uh, the sacred secular divide uh, in our culture, and it's it's, it's in around uh, in in a lot of cultures, although it's gotten much much greater in our time. But it can be easy to think, well, you know, I, I hurt an individual. If I've made peace with them, uh, then you know everything's good and hunky dory. And what mm-hmm. Scripture says is, no, 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 no. Like there's there's someone there's another party here. Like mm-hmm. if you uh, hurt creation, if you hurt yourself, if you hurt another person, um, God is also uh, involved, right? Because all these things belong to God, right? And he created the world good in this, you know, perfect web and network of, of beauty and joy and abundance and sin uh, tears that apart, because we've talked about that before. And so therefore, when you are sinning, you are attacking God's masterpiece, one way or another. And so therefore, it's something that needs to be dealt with between you and God. Of course, if you've actually hurt someone, you need to deal with that person as well. God makes that clear. But every sin necessitates dealing with God, a a confession Mm. and repentance uh, before God, because it's all His. And that's the thing. We don't want to uh, uh, compartmentalize the world in such a way that, well, there are some of these sacred things that God cares about, but then there's a lot of other things that God doesn't care so much about. Right. That's not true. That's not biblical. That's certainly not what's presented to us in Leviticus. Mm. Everything has the potential, has, has holy ramifications. And so therefore, we need to be recognizing that whatever we do, uh, when it falls short of God's law and the glory of God, right, we need to do business with God. We need to yeah. approach Him with humility and repentance. And this is why I guess um, uh, David in Psalm 51 says, against you and you only I have sinned, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a that's a strong thing to say, right, yeah. since he actually <laughs> committed <did> murder. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? I exactly. mean, so there there is, that that that's something that needs to be teased out, which we're not going to do mm-hmm. that here. Um, but what's helpful to recognize in Psalm 51 is that David is saying, look, this, this is not just a sin against uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also a sin against you, and I recognize that. Right. Okay, so you said sin's a problem. You mentioned that repentance uh, and God's forgiveness is the, is the solution. So let me ask you this. Will God forgive willful, intentional sin without our repentance? And if not, what kind of danger are we in if we persist in our sin without repentance? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. But I, but I would actually want to back up in the sense of um, the solution to sin. Mm-hmm. When, when you say the solution to sin is repentance, you're... You're you're uh, assuming other steps along the way yes. that that actually need to be teased out because yes. the the solution to sin is judgment and wrath, right? The, the mm. solution to sin mm. is destruction of sin. That's the mm-hmm. solution. And um, now we are we are you know given a a, a choice and an option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know our sin, our flesh uh, can be destroyed and our our souls along with it, um, or someone else can be destroyed in our place. Right, mm. but but the solution to sin is judgment and wrath. It's justice. I mean, this is what we want, right? right. We all want sin to be destroyed. We want sin to be judged. 
Um, and of course, this is the problem, um, that that means judging us and wrath upon us. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the, the God's solution is uh, scary, uh, yeah. except that he, even, you know, as early as Genesis 3, but particularly in Leviticus, and then also, obviously, going on into the New Testament, God is showing he is making uh, a, a, an alternative to mm-hmm. us being destroyed. The alternative is that his son will offer himself up as a perfect sacrifice uh, to absorb his wrath and justice and to make all things new and right. So the way that we participate in that uh, that that other path, uh, that that redemptive solution, the way we participate in that is through repentance, right? Mm. Is by bringing uh, an honest recognition of our sinfulness, of our broken hearts, right? There's there's it's not just that we did something wrong. There's actually something wrong with us. We desire wrong things, and we mm-hmm. need new hearts. We need new lives. We need new everything, and only God can do that. So coming repentantly to God, uh, uh, trusting that he is a God of grace and that he has made a way for us. He has accomplished our our salvation and redemption through uh, the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So that's where we are. And then, mm-hmm. you know, your, your question is, well, what about, you know, sin, intentional sin, without our repentance? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. And again, this is something that, you know, there are lots of there was lots of concern about this, particularly for the first 1,500 years of the church, and mm-hmm. and in some sense, this is where, you know, this is what created the, the spiritual crisis for Luther uh, mm. in, in the early 1500s, because a guy like him, who was, you know, let's say probably a little, little obsessive, um, <laughs> it, he, he thoughtfully recognized that, look, I mean, if, if every sin mm. needs to be repented of, then I'm, I'm going to need to do this for hours, hours a day, and hours, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And his confessor's like, "You got to stop. Like, this <laughs> is not done." <laughs> he told him, "Go study Romans instead." Right? That's what he told him, and, really? and that's, that's where and that's where Luther wow. said, "You know, it he, all began." <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where a lot of a lot of this began, and so mm. um, it, it can't. So, so we have to be thoughtful about this in the sense that um, this isn't like a ledger. Uh, mm-hmm. And a spreadsheet where, you know, until we have, you know, specifically confessed and repented of a particular sin, uh, it is not covered by Jesus. Mm. That's that's not how this works. To be in Jesus is to say, I have no hope in life or in death, save in God's sovereign mercy. Right. That's mm. the that's the our first membership vow. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so therefore I um, rest and receive Jesus as rest in and receive Jesus uh, as my savior. Right. So what we are doing is we're saying, look, I, I don't even know how deep my sin goes. Right. I mean, I, there's right. intentional sin I don't even know about. Right. right like I, right. there's enough of me that's so dead that it needs to be awakened. I need to be awakened to my sin. I need my mm. eyes open. Right. I need to mm. be convicted. And so, again, that's a part of our daily relationship with God is asking him, please show me, right? Mm. I mean, that's what Paul talks about in terms of exposing sin and bringing it to the light. We bring Mm. it to the light so it will be dried out in the heat of the gospel, right? And and Mm. it can be killed or transformed, right? So to be a Christian is to say, there's all kinds of sin in me. I don't even know how deep it goes. I, my only hope in life and death is God's grace. Now, there is this idea of persisting in intentional sin, right, without mm-hmm. repentance. You know, again, like the, the, the phrase I was using is making provision for the flesh um, and, you know, doing it thoughtfully, premeditatively, over and over again without repentance, without sort of, you know, coming back to God and saying, hey, I, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to do that. You know, I mean, there, there, there are habits and patterns that we get caught in, and there's repentance along the way, even if we're not seeing change. But then there can be habits and patterns we're in, and we're saying, you know what? I'm tired of repenting, and I'm tired of trying. Um, and I'm just gonna. This is just one part of me that sin has, and I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna try mm-hmm. anymore. I'm just gonna go along with it. Mm-hmm. That uh, leads to a hardening of the heart, and mm-hmm. it leads to a withering of your relationship with God. And this is what Hebrews is talking about. And and some of those people, sometimes when that happens, some of those people do drift away, um, and and perhaps fall away. We won't. We don't know for sure, right? We we don't know. Uh, who is, you know, going to be saved ultimately, eternally, or not. But there are people who walk away from the church, 
right, who, who had been, you know, living, as far as we could tell, sincere Christian lives, hmm. but they persist in intentional sin, and they slowly walk away. Um, and we pray that God will call them back, right? We, yeah. we, we don't know what's going to happen, but it's dangerous, right? So our job as Christians, and particularly the church's job, elders' job, uh, is to, as shepherds, lovingly call people back to repentance because they are in danger. If they are going mm. to persist in willful, intentional sin, they are in danger of, of completely walking away and actually ultimately not being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. It, it's it's a scary thing, and right. and if anyone's dabbled in that, uh, you've experienced that. You've experienced that hardening, and it's mm. um it's it's a very scary thing. So pray now, come back now, confess now, invite yeah. God in now. Um, and it is hard. I mean, it, this this idea of this consistent battle, and you're oftentimes going to lose. Um, and in, you know for what this is all so uncomfortable. Look. Mm-hmm. God is with us. He is faithful with us, right? He, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So mm. staying in the battle is what matters. Again, Galatians 5, right? It's the spirit is at war with the flesh, right? So the fact that there's a battle suggests God is present, um, and, and he, will not, he will not leave us or forsake us. So mm-hmm. remain in the battle. So is it still contrition if we're more sorry about the consequences of our sin than the fact that we've attacked God? Well, I guess part of it depends a little bit in terms of what you mean by consequences of our sin, because, you know, we all know that sometimes people are sorry that they got caught, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the consequences of getting caught, the consequences of shame, uh, or whatever else, and and we know that that's not real... sorrow. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, not right, real. Right. Just being sorry that you got caught isn't really real repentance. And and we see this principle in, in Scripture, you know, it's when, when someone is convicted by the Spirit and then comes forward and confesses, mm-hmm. that's received very differently uh, than someone who, you know, has been hiding, 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 and then is found out, right? Mm-hmm. So um, actually, you know, not, not just simply being sorrow, sorrowful about being caught or about being exposed— but sorrowful about what you have done and and what that has said to God and what mm-hmm. that says to others and what that says about God's honor uh, matters a lot. Um, now, if we're talking about the consequences of sin in terms of you know I hurt somebody and I'm I'm devastated that that they're hurt. Yeah. Um, okay, that's good. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's good to recognize that, right? And uh, but it is problematic if you recognize that, as we just talked about. If you recognize that, but you're also not recognizing that there's another party here, and that party right. is God, right? So um, there's contrition, but it's not full contrition, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a there's a chance of a certain amount of reconciliation between parties, but not as much between you and God. And so, right. yes, we we have to take this all the way to. Um, it's it's not just a horizontal thing, it's also a vertical thing. So how can we be assured that our sins are forgiven? Well, so again, we, you know, we get to this, uh, another refor- Reformed doctrine of assurance, mm-hmm. uh, and Scripture calls us to that uh, in various passage about making your calling and election sure. Um, and that happens as we just enter into this process of repentance and fighting sin. It is a gift. It's not. It's not uh, uh, something that can be engineered or manufactured. Um, but it. But we over two thousand years of church history. It is something that believers can experience. They can come mm. to a place of settled assurance that they are forgiven and that they are in. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, um, and that, that's a subjective. I'm talking about subjectively. They they right. they experience this assurance, but not everyone gets that, and not everyone experiences that. And some some people have very tender consciences that they're going to continue to have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's something to strive for, but it's not something that to necessarily expect uh, or or you know to to be presumptuous about. But there are objective assurances that your sins are forgiven, particularly when we confess our sins together in the name of Jesus, mm. and then we read the good news of Scripture, and you are told your sins are forgiven, right? right? Absolution. That's a very important part of a believer's life, is to hear from someone else who, who you know, is pointing out Scripture to you, scripture to you and saying, look, you, you're forgiven if, you know, if you trust in Jesus— 
you are forgiven. Um, in the same way, you know, partaking of the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, like you are participating in the death of Jesus because of your sin. So if you are coming eating and drinking in faith, then you're in Jesus and, mm-hmm. and you are forgiven. Um, and, and we take the Lord's Supper together as a church, uh, not individually, because it's the church that is going to say to you whether or not you should mm. partake, right? You don't get to excommunicate yourself. You mm-hmm. don't get to say, well, I don't think my sins are forgiven. You know, I don't think I'm in Jesus. No, this is a, this is a collective process, and, and God has given the keys of the kingdom to the church and to the, to the leaders of the church in order to be able to tell people your yeah. sins are forgiven, right? right? So listen to your church. Listen to your pastors. Listen to God's word. Um, there you will read your sins are forgiven if you are in Christ. Um, and then, you know, people might say, well, how do I know I'm in Christ, right? So that, that's, a, that's another mm. discussion. Let's, let's talk about that. How much faith do I need? You need more than zero. You need a mustard seed, right? Like just right. anything, a, a spark, anything more than zero, right? So look, we can, we can talk about all these things, and, and there are uh, signs and words and assurances. In the end, though, I mean, some people are, are, are really going to struggle with this, yeah. right? Their, their whole lives are going to say, I don't know if I really believe. I don't know if I'm in Jesus. I don't know if I'm forgiven. And all we can do is just patiently walk with them, continue to remind them of the promises of the gospel, right? Continue to lift up Jesus and say, look, he, he has died for you. There's nothing you can do mm-hmm. uh, to make him love you any less. There's nothing you can do to undo his death on the cross for you. And all we can do is just, you know, consistently remind them of the promises and the faithfulness and the power of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's just part of part of the church's job. Okay. Um, but our prayer is that as people are living uh, in the faith more and more and participating in Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming church, they will experience this assurance of forgiveness. They will they will experience and 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 have a, a more and more settled belief that mm-hmm. they indeed are forgiven. Um, and that you know they are in God's love because of Jesus Christ. That's the church's job. Yeah. So the, uh, the the answer to my last question to you has been woven throughout almost every answer you've given this morning. But I'm just going to ask you this, and I think that <laughs> we'll we'll finish with this. How does Jesus change everything? Well, I mean that, that's a big that's a big question, big question. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, it's a big question, but. You know what? What he does is he takes the the ultimate eternal consequences of our sin uh, upon himself, so that we can actually come before God, mm-hmm. come before our Creator um, with hope and with joy uh, in worship. Right? He enables us to be united to our Creator, uh, and so as opposed to uh, all of us running around trying to uh, run from death, avoid death, trying to build our own kingdoms, trying to make a, mm-hmm. our names great, like all these things that humans do and all these things that Scripture talks about, all these ways uh, that we operate because we are out of the garden and death is chasing us down, all these mm-hmm. things, all these sins that we commit because we are afraid, um, because you know our, our, our minds are, and hearts are darkened, all these things... Jesus undoes by his death and resurrection and now indwelling in his people by his spirit. We mm-hmm. can come to a heavenly father, not a wrathful judge, in the name of Jesus Christ, propelled mm-hmm. by his spirit dwelling in us. We can partake of his divine nature and participate in this uh, heavenly fellowship, this this triune fellowship, right? So Jesus can take us from living these lives of self-protection, self-justification, uh, striking out at others, mm-hmm. uh, hating ourselves, hating God, doing everything we can to build our status. As long as we have more money and more, you know, bigger guns, then we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. We can move away from that kind of life, and we can move a life to peace, rest, assurance, love, blessing others, hope, not afraid of death, and and constantly actually moving against our sin and the darkness mm. in our lives. We, we know that there is someone who is fighting the darkness in us, and we can join him in that. And he is, uh, he is the light of the world, and yes. more and more he is bringing light to us. That's good news. It is, it is good news indeed, and it's available to anybody who comes to him. He welcomes one and all. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bob, thanks again for your time this morning. You got it, Matt. 
The title of Bob's sermon is Early and Often. It's one of the sermons in our series from Leviticus. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. We hope these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your requests using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, if you're in the San Jose area, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.